0: Well, good morning, everybody. We enjoyed so much having everybody together last week. We thought we'd do it again for a change. In fact, we liked it so much, we think we're going to keep it up. If the Lord allows us to. It's just been uh, been good to be back. Now, today, we're going to finish this series that we've been going through on living as salt and light in this world. It's been a, a series about about making an impact in our world uh, by letting God make an impact on our own lives. And we've been doing it right in the most unique of circumstances that most of us have ever lived through in our lives. I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. If you've got your Bible or your Bible app, again, we'll put these up on the screen for you. If not, as we finish this series, we're going to join Jesus as he finishes the Sermon on the Mount. It goes through Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, and we're going to pick up at the end in chapter 7, and Jesus is going to address the distinct indicator of his followers, and that is the area of obedience. So Jesus is going to present in our passage today um, three very significant contrasts regarding how we live our lives of faith. He's going to talk about a broad road and a narrow road. He's going to talk about um, the good and the bad fruit that comes from our lives that is produced by them. And he's going to talk about doing or failing to do the will of God. So in these passages, he's not just going to so much offer new teaching. As he's coming to the end of his message to them on this mount that he's preaching on, he's going to share how people should respond to his teaching that he's offered. And he starts by reminding them and us that life is about choices. Okay, you're in Matthew chapter 7. Uh, what, what hits you right away is Jesus' wraps up this Sermon on the Mount, um, is not the nature of the choices before us. But in this passage we're going to talk about today, it's the nature of the choice that is before us. The world continues to promote uh, the multiple choices of being spiritual or living a right life or that there are a lot of different ways to get to heaven. Jesus says there's only one choice. And there's two possibilities to choose from. He says the choice we make um, reflects our priorities. It reflects our goals. And it reflects our ultimate end game. Pick up with me in verse 13. It says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Choosing Jesus, I believe, is the most important decision that anyone will ever make. Okay? However, it's not the final decision. As disciples, or followers of Jesus, that's what that word means, we're called to keep making choices, that are consistent with our commitment to follow Jesus. When saying yes to Jesus, Jesus will tell us here and in many other passages, we by necessity are also saying no to other things. When we decided to follow Jesus, there was to have been a a conversion in our life, like a change of direction, and ultimately um, we made a decision about the level at which we would pursue Jesus with our lives, either fully or with mediocrity. And that's a bit of what Jesus is going to discuss here in these verses. To pursue Jesus and his life for us, Jesus says, is to enter the narrow gate. The gate is narrow because it's demanding. right? It has boundaries that are clearly marked in the words of Scripture. It requires us to live by faith and by discipline and with integrity. But I think it's also important to think through, like it requires that we lose some things of this world if we're going to go through the gate because it's narrow and those things simply won't fit, nor do they have a place on our journey. So we leave things behind. Scripture says we die to self and we enter through the only gate there is to heaven, and that is through the cross of Jesus, God's grace. Now, in contrast, there's a broad road, and there's a wider gate with no demands of loyalty, no demands of integrity or character. It's like, bring what you want, do what you want, live how you want. There's plenty of room for everybody, they say. Some of your translations might read that this road is called easy. Now you might think with the distinct difference between these two roads in life, like that they're located in completely different directions because they're certainly headed that way. But I would suggest if we put all of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount together, and if we're going to live as salt and light in this world, that perhaps the narrow road is positioned right in the middle of of the wide road. It's just that its travelers are moving in the opposite direction. The difference in the life of the follower of Jesus is leveraged by God so that people around can see the benefits of living for God played out in front of their eyes. That's what it means to be salt and to be light in this world. And then, of course, Jesus points out that there's a difference in destination. The broad road leads to destruction, while the narrow road leads to life. Now, this has always been the message of Scripture, right? People don't always believe it, don't always accept it, maybe even at times don't understand it. If you go all the way back to Moses in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 30, in verse 15, Moses said, See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death, and destruction. Four verses later in verse 19, he says, This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Life is about choices. It has always been that way. And then Jesus issues um, to his hearers, this, excuse me. This next thought, in verses fifteen to twenty, that our life is clarified by our actions. Um, businessman, he was well known in, in their community, but he's he's pretty ruthless, right? Just um, that could mean irritating, okay, or it could mean ungodly. I'm not sure where on the scale he was, but he was known by everybody as something. But he wasn't known as a very godly guy or a very good guy for sure. And he went up to Mark Twain one time and he said, you know, before I die, I'm going to make a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. I'm going to climb Mount Sinai. And on top of that mountain, I am going to read the Ten Commandments aloud. Mark Twain replied to him in his wit as he usually did. you know, you could just stay in Boston and keep the commands. Which do you think God would be honored by more? Some grandiose thing that's on our bucket list? Or just living in the grind of obedience day by day, doing our best to give our hearts and lives to Him? Jesus is going to say, Your life is clarified by your actions. Matthew chapter 7, beginning verse 15. He says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly, they are ferocious wolves. He said, by their fruit, or some of your translations will read, by their deeds, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus by your deeds, Jesus says, you will recognize them. Okay. So for the disciple, right, for the follower of Jesus, Jesus is warning us um, to be discerning, to not just accept everything that is preached or that is promoted in the name of Jesus or the gospel. He says those who teach false things in Jesus' name... Um, They're called ferocious wolves because there's danger and deception because of their influence. Where they can take their hearers, the journey that they will take them on. He says, watch out for those who teach salvation without discipleship. Those who teach grace without a response. Those who teach faith without godly living. Watch out for those, Jesus would say, who either teach that just living a morally good life or um, keeping a set of ethical standards apart from the death of Jesus will bring about your salvation. These people, Jesus would say, lead people to the very destruction that they say does not exist. Today's popular claims about wide roads and broad gates and and the lack of a biblical standard of truth, they give people a false sense of security in themselves. They lull people to sleep in their sin. And they fail to warn people of the ultimate reality that Jesus is talking about here in Matthew chapter 7. After speaking about the danger of their words, Jesus changes the metaphor from the, sheep and, uh, the wolf in sheep's clothing to that of fruit and trees to talk about the test for the false prophet, the test for someone who's actually speaking or preaching. You see, you might mistake um, a wolf that has a good costume, right, in sheep's clothing, but you're not going to mistake the fruit off of a tree it's consistent. The fruit that we're looking at for the true prophet here has to, do with, it has to do with their character. And it has to do with their conduct. How they live. Not just what they say, but what they do. Many have said that more harm over the years has come from inside the church than from outside. Vance Havner once wrote, these words he said more harm has been done in the church by termites on the inside than by woodpeckers on the outside and i think he's right Uh, the emphasis here in matthew it's on hypocrisy right the prophet who's who says you should do one thing and then they don't do it themselves they say you should do one thing then they do another Um, I like how it's phrased in the New Living Translation. It says, you can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. So take the person who's speaking in the name of Jesus to you. Like, we understand that, right? We know people that, like, their lips are moving, but all we hear is blah, 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 right? Because we know what they're doing when they're not talking to us about religious things or about Jesus himself. Their, Their life does not match it. Jesus said, their life is clarified by their actions. Be careful who you follow. Now back in uh, Matthew chapter 7, we come to what I I have found over the years, maybe some of the most feared words in all of the New Testament. They begin in verse 21, and Jesus is going to say that what we say has to be verified by what we do, not just the prophets, the false prophets, but us as followers of Jesus. Verse 21, we read, Not everyone who says to me, Now, confessing Jesus personally or verbally um, and even publicly is critical. We find many places, even Jesus' own words in other places, that talk about the necessity for us to confess Jesus before others. Okay? And certainly one would think that the people mentioned here in these verses could check that box on, based on what they explained to Jesus, all the, the things that they did in a sense, for him. They named him as Lord, and and they spoke great things in his name. But their profession of Jesus was incomplete in that it came only from their lips and not also from their lives. They called Jesus Lord, but they never submitted to his lordship in their lives. They never obeyed his words. Jesus put it like this in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, kind of a parallel passage. He says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Now we can confess Jesus publicly in conversion or privately. We can confess him, confess him publicly through confession or through baptism. We can attend church. We can even do good things or maybe even big things in his name. But what Jesus is looking for is a partner to that in our lives. And that partner is obedience. The kingdom of God cannot be just expressed in words. It has to be also expressed through actions. You can't just make a verbal profession. I believe in Jesus. There's also the fruit of of a changed life that comes in partnership with that. Because as Jesus says, it's your actions that either verify or deny the very words that you speak. Now five times in that section before this on on the false prophets, and twice in this section here, Jesus combines the thoughts of our words and our actions. He says the false prophets are condemned by Jesus not for what they say, but by what they do or what they do not do. And he says in verse 21, that's not the one who says to me, Lord, Lord, who will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. Um, Obedience. Obedience is the proof of our relationship with God. Our final destination, if you will, is not going to be determined by what we say today or even what we say on that day in this verse will be by what Jesus says regarding what we do. Whether our actions back up our words. Whether our life reflects his lordship. And then finally, Jesus is going to paint one more picture. It's kind of a visual call to action, if you would. And he tells us, finally then, that listening must lead us to obedience. Same theme throughout all of these Verses. Jesus is um, is wrapping up this sermon on the mount, and it's all been leading up to these verses, like these choices, these distinctions that we're talking about today. It's a conclusion that calls for action. Jesus had just finished in this last part about those who um, who talk about Jesus, call him Lord but don't do what he says. And now he's going to talk about those who hear what Jesus says. Whether they actually do it or not is the difference. Matthew 7, beginning verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, And the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine, same beginning, and does not put them into practice, is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Remember, Jesus grew up as a carpenter. Right? He knows what he's talking about here. The land around him is full of valleys. In the summer, those valleys are dry. But in the rainy season, there was significant flooding that happened. Some of you will notice You notice what's, what they're doing on this house to the west of us down the road just a little bit. They've made some great improvements, that pond, that dock. Those boats and people fishing. and I love what they're doing. I just fear for them the next time that thing floods like it does every year or two or three or something like that. Jesus says when the floods came, hmm, which house would you rather be living in, Jesus says. Like as these builders went along, it wouldn't have been very long in the process till the houses might have looked exactly the same. The difference was in the foundation." The part that you couldn't see in the same way. Most of us probably know Christians who appear um, one way on the surface, but don't follow that up with action of obedience. I mean, you can learn to talk Christian, right? You can learn to fit into a church and be at home in certain situations. And I'm not even sure Jesus here is contrasting the Christian with the unbeliever as much as both of these people hear the word of God. Okay, Both of them um, appear to be visible members of the community. Their lives look a lot the same. Maybe they could... Both read the Bible. Maybe they both went to church. Maybe they would listen to sermons or to podcasts or read Christian books. But when the storms of life come, and they will come, right? When the crises bear down, and they will bear down on us. When the challenges of life present themselves, one life crumbles while the other life Endures. One faith stands, while another simply walks away. The difference is not in what was heard. All of those people uh, had been sitting, listening to Jesus preach. What is the most memorable sermon in history? The Sermon on the Mount. They all were there to hear his revolutionary words. Okay, they heard the preaching. they were impacted, I think. They were impressed. You know, some of them were even mesmerized like some of you are every Sunday morning when Drew or I get up and preach, right? It's just an amazing thing. <laughs> but what did they do with what they heard? How did it change their life? How did it affect their day-to-day choices that they made? That's what Jesus was pressing for from them. And that's what Jesus is pressing for from us. What we hear is important. right? What we know is foundational. What we say is critical. But it's what we do with it that separates us. Jesus started the Sermon on the Mount by calling us to live different. To live as the salt of the earth and the light of the world in Matthew 5. Then he described for three chapters here what it looks like to live differently. And his teaching was revolutionary. And here he comes to the end of the sermon and he proposes that there are two roads. One of them is narrow and the other is wide. And that there are two buildings one built on the rock that will stand and one built on the sand that will collapse. Yet contrary to everything the world tells you and me today, there's still only one choice. Life or death. Which road are you going to travel? Which foundation have you built your life upon? Years ago, there was a a farmer. He owned... um, land in the eastern part of the country along the eastern seaboard and, and um, the storms that come in off that land are uh, really difficult for, um, for the farms because they just threaten to destroy buildings and crops when they come in across that way. And so uh, he, the story goes he kept uh, interviewing applicants. And all of them said, no thanks, and declined his offer. They, they went to work on a farm on the east coast because of the hurricanes and the sort. So finally there was, they say, a short man, and a thin man, and a and beyond middle-aged man who, who came and talked to him, and, and the farmer asked him, he said, are you a good farmhand? He said, well, I don't know about that. He said, but when the wind blows, I can sleep. I thought that was kind of a funny answer, but he found a willing victim, so he said, all right, you're hired. <laughs> And he was pleased enough with the man's work. He worked from dawn to dusk, and he did everything well that he was asked to do, and um, he was satisfied with his work. And as the story goes, one night the wind howled in from a storm off the coast. And it woke him up, and he, he got his boots on, and he, he got dressed, and he went next door to where the farmhand was sleeping and, and said, Get up! We've got to tie everything down. And, and as the story goes, the farmhand rolled over and said, I told you. I can sleep when the wind blows. And he rolled back over, and so he, he kind of just wanted half to fire him and half probably to beat him, right? But he also knew that, that like life was in the balance here, his, his livelihood. And so he goes outside, and he goes and he finds you know, that all the hay bales have been tarped down. All the cows are in the barn, all the chickens are in the coop, and all the, the doors and shutters are, are locked and bolted. And then he understood what the man meant when he said, I can sleep when the wind blows. And he found himself going back to sleep (laughs) and sleeping when the wind was blowing. Listen, when you are prepared, you have nothing to fear. So can you sleep when the wind blows? And how are you doing through this COVID storm? For some people, it has rocked their boat how do you do when that diagnosis from the doctor comes? When those difficult um, times arrive? If you've secured your life firmly in the grace of Jesus Christ through his death on the cross, you can sleep when the wind blows because you are prepared. When you live a life Though imperfectly, right? Imperfectly live a life of obedience that lines up what we know, what we say, what we read, and what we do. There's peace in your life. So one question today, simple question I think from these verses, just makes sense. Are you ready? Are you ready to walk through the narrow gate? Are you ready to stay true when others threaten to lead you away from God? Are you ready to act upon the commitment of what you've heard or what you've read upon in God's word? I would tell you this, like if you are, take heart. (laughs) Sleep when the wind blows. God is in control of this crazy world and in the end, you and him, like you'll be together. If you're not, I would suggest that Jesus would say that you take heed instead to his words here in Matthew. We're going to be outside afterwards. We'd love to talk to you if you just are not sure about this area of your life and you want to get right with God. We can help you do that and help you get ready. All right? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, Boy, some passages bring us comfort and others uh, rock our world. And yet so much of it has to do with how we respond to you. So we thank you for Jesus' death that takes us imperfect people and gives us hope. It's the only hope we have. And yet, Lord, we want to live lives that honor you. In the middle of all the chaos, to go in that opposite direction, to go in that direction that just lifts you up as Lord, shows you as God, makes us the salt of the earth, in the light of the world. Empower us to be just that, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name.